Welcome to the Building Texas Business Podcast. Interviews with thought leaders and organizational visionaries from across industry. Join us as we talk about the latest trends, challenges, and growth opportunities to take your business to the next level. The Building Texas Business Podcast is brought to you by Boyer Miller, providing counsel beyond expectations. Find out how we can make a meaningful difference to your business at BoyerMiller.com. And by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Chris Hanslick. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Hanslick. I'm the chairman of Boyer Miller. In today's episode, you will meet Ryan Getz. Ryan is the co-founder and CEO of WGA Consulting Engineers, a civil engineering firm in Houston, Texas. You're going to hear from Ryan, and when you hear his voice, you're going to uh, feel his energy and the passion he brings to his business. Ryan talks about the need for setting a clear direction for the company, and that's what they've done at WGA, and coming up with core values that he describes as three simple things to remember, accountability, respect, and empowerment. Ryan also talks about the critical need to have a team-building mentality in your company, and there at WGA, you'll hear him talk about how they focus on effort and attitude. Ryan, I want to thank you for joining me today on the podcast. appreciate you taking time to come up. Thanks for having me here. I appreciate it, Chris. So let's get started with kind of telling us about your business, WGA. What, what are you all known for? So we're a civil engineering consulting firm. And what that means is, you know, we're a professional service company like your firm or like an attorney's firm, but we focus on civil engineering design. And so a lot of our products we do in the private realm and the public realm. And so a lot of our our products, people don't really notice because buildings are built on top of them or, you know, roads, drainage channels, water plants, wastewater treatment plants. And we also have an environmental division that does a lot of environmental studies. And so, again, people say, what do you do? It's like most people don't even notice it because they drive down the road and, or have streetlights timed perfectly. And there's always some thoughts behind all that. It doesn't happen naturally. Gotcha. So it's kind of the, the dirty fingernail kind of side of the uh, design. Construction, you know, on the construction side. Or when I see construction, I see civil engineering being put into place. And most people driving down the road get upset about it because it's shrinking down the lanes. And so for me, construction is growth, right? I got you. And so we also work on the private side. On the private side, we do site development plans for high-rise buildings, industrial big box we do a lot of work out in, with mud districts where they're planning roads and infrastructure and water plants, wastewater treatment plants for 15, 20, 30, 40 years. So it's exciting. Yeah. Well, like I said, it has to be rewarding to see the city uh, that do you live in or the, the cities that maybe you travel to be a part of that growth and development. Mm-hmm. For sure. And we're extremely lucky to be in a great state that naturally people flock to for abilities to want to grow their business and just find a better lives for them better lives for themselves. So obviously to do what you do requires an engineering degree. So at some point you decided you wanted to be an engineer. I guess I want to kind of twofold question. Mm-hmm. One, what was the inspiration to maybe become an engineer? But more importantly, what was the inspiration to go out on your own, which you did mm-hmm. what, 2007, 2008? Yeah. So it's, it's a interesting <clears throat> answer because I, so I grew up working for my father at a marina on Lake Conroe where I grew up pouring concrete, you know, building boat stalls, working outside, taking out trash, and learning a lot of different things of what to do and what not to do. And I remember graduating high school and my dad said, and we, I got into A&M and he's like, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know what I want to do. Like, 
every 18 year old boy. You right. know, it's like I would rather, you know, race race cars, automatically be rich, not work, drive the big boat, have all the fun without any of the work. Right. You know, that, that doesn't that doesn't square up at all. And he said, Well, why don't you be a civil engineer? I'm like, sure. Let's just do it. <laughs> and that's simple, huh? That's simple. And of course you go to college, have fun, and don't realize anything, you have to get a job until like, oh, I'm about to run out of time. And so I just, I got my civil engineering degree and then, you know, got a job at another engineering company and realized I'm a terrible team player because I've always been under working for my father as an entrepreneur. And all of a sudden I found myself a widget in an organization that I don't necessarily fit in with. Gotcha. And, and then, you know, I changed one job to another job and find an organization where I really kind of fit in better. But then I started realizing this organization is kind of run on maybe core values and beliefs that my, a business my father would have built or a business my grandfather would have built. And I found myself at every angle, my clients weren't happy with me. My employees weren't happy with me. My boss wasn't happy with me. My wife wasn't happy with me because I wasn't given the resources to be successful. And I mean, that's, we see that in a lot of industries. And I say it to our members now. We should always have 10% more work than the staff because we're always worried about the downside. And we never, every member you have work within your organization, they're tied to a family. And so we want to create long-term steady positions for all of our members. And you and I both know there's no such thing as a full-time job because we work out in a market that's volatile. And so Stephen and I, my business, my co-founder, Stephen Ward, we worked in the same building, but with different companies. And we always talked a lot about doing something different and both unhappy. Again, his members were upset with him as, you know, he had the same issues I had at different companies. Okay. And we discussed it. We thought about it and he had a life changing event that took place. And he's like, let's do this. I'm like, let's go. And guess what? If you fail, this is probably you're 28, 29. And if you fail, I have nothing, so I have nothing to lose. Right, right. And if I fail, then we talked about, laughed about, uh, I'll become a fishing guide. Right. You start over, coast. right? Or I'll be a fishing guide on the coast, make 100 k a year in cash, just be super salty. And by, by the age of 60, I'll look 80. <laughs> but at least I'll be happy. At least I won't be in this place where I feel like I'm constantly a failure to my members around me because the resources weren't there. Even though you're giving it everything you have. And so it was that, and with with his trigger, that caused us to just, let's just do it. Because when you have nothing to lose, it's easy to risk nothing. Exactly. So that's how you guys started. Yeah, just that. And from there, you talk to everyone you know, and you talk to everyone you don't know, and act like you met them somewhere. And you slowly start to sell yourself because you have nothing to show besides yourself. There's no projects. Now it's easy. You go get a new project, and you say, look, here's what we've worked on. Here's our successes. Here's our failures. But when you start, you have none of that. Right. And so literally you have to sell yourself as an individual. And you know, your first client is going to be the guy that wants to pay you a fifth the value of the work that they're going to give you. Because he and, knows you just need to get work. Yes. Right. And he might not even pay you. And so it starts the process. And again, your first employee is going to be somebody who doesn't necessarily who you employ later at a 50-person company because he's just there because he wants a family work environment and he wants to take off early on Friday and not really care on doing the work. And so you start the process. Right. Slowly building your organization, getting better clients, and then also kind of having employees come and go. And then you slowly find yourself in a place where, oh my God, you built a professional engineering company 
But it's the same as yours. It's just it's a team of professional consultants that have to believe in the core values of the company. Right. So, so you talk about core values, and you don't, you don't necessarily maybe have them day one. But what what whether it was core values or other things, what did you and your partner kind of establish, or in those first few years, put in place that you believe have been the foundations for the success that you've experienced over the last fifteen plus years? You know, that's hard to say because we found ourselves immediately pretty successful because our number one thing was return emails, communicate, pick up the phone. And engineers by nature don't like to communicate. They tend to want to be plan focused introverts. And Steven's an extrovert and I'm an extrovert as well. Of course, the older I get, the more introvert I get, I think. (laughs) But at that time, so that made us step and look different from most other organizations. And, uh, And also being 29, you know, it's not, you know, my first son was born the day we started our company. So at the time, I really didn't have a lot of things holding me from having to go out as much besides obviously having my wife raise our first son. And it allowed us to be out there and put our face everywhere. And just the energy in that place kind of stepped us from them. And our number one goal was communicate, email, talk, communicate, email, talk. Now that only got us so far. Right. Because sooner or later you start becoming successful and you start adding new members to your your organization, and that adds a whole other set of challenges. Sure it does. So I'm sure we'll get into that because each stage has something different. That's right. And so you mentioned, I guess, you know, kind of immediate success. I assume though, at some point though, as the organization grew in those early days, you realized we need to put some processes in place mm-hmm. to help sustain this success, and maybe can have it continue to grow the right way. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I explain it like this. It's it's like starting on a little two-person boat on the ocean, right? When you're close to shore, the, the waters are calm. It's the small boat's good enough to handle two, you, two of you. And then you decide to add a member to that boat. And it gets a little bit heavier and you get further away from shore and the seas get a little rougher and you're, you're constantly having to reinvent this boat. Yeah. And it's constantly leaking. So you're having to repair it as you build it and you want to add people to it. And the seas get getting rougher and rougher and rougher. All of a sudden you find yourself way out, nowhere near land. The seas are choppy and you have 50 people in this boat. What's holding it together? That's your core values. And those core values are such an important thing. And I know later we'll talk about mentors and how to, what is a mentor? How to throw, how to have a mentor no longer be your mentor. You have to be able to choose that through your feeling. And we had this mentor come in one time and he said, Ryan, the thing you're missing is your core values. Because we kept bumping up on this 30 person level. We get that we build, 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 get to 30, have struggles, and then go back down to 20. And it couldn't get through that ceiling. Gotcha. He said, you have to set your core values. And being a small business guy, not a good team player, I'm like, oh, this guy's fool. Yeah, we don't need that. But then after sitting down thinking about it and talking to my wife about it, she said, Ryan, you need to define three simple things that anyone can look at and see and get a feel for your organization in two seconds. And I was like, you know, I started realizing we had members of our organization that didn't fit my core values or Stephen's core values or Stephanie's core values. We brought in another partner, Stephanie Anderson, in 2012. And as two guys from A&M, we bring in a female, everyone knew we were serious because she's the <laughs> one that, you know, controls the center for us because it's it's just funny because yeah. we're two C students from Texas A&M that everyone kind of joked about. 
But we went through that process, yeah. and it was a very cathartic process. It was all day, very emotional, because you're going back to, as a child, what is a person that sets you up to be successful within yourself? So it ties back to your parents. It ties back to your grandparents. It's a very emotional day, and we ended up on accountability, respect, and empowerment, A-R-E. And after we did that, we lost about half of our employees. <laughs> but then we hired two-thirds more, and the company shifted. It was watershed moment, right? Yes. Completely. Yeah. And I say this because we'll get into this later. The company shifted three or four more times and I call it generational shifts. Okay. Right. And if you're going to start a company with a long-term end, you have to know what that end is. And you're not going to get there gradually. It's going to be in steps. And each time you're going to, some people are not going to want to come along. They're going to get off the boat because they're going to say, I did not want to go in this direction. I wanted a family office. Yeah. Not... An organization. Yeah. And you have to be able to stick to your own core values and say, it's okay to go. I wish you the best. And we'll bring on other members that fit this destination. Yeah. So you're you're right. It's a nail on the head because I think in my experience, right, it's so fundamentally important for an organization and, and the founders or leaders of that organization to, to set the tone in the mission, in the values. For me, missions about purpose, right? Why, why do we exist as an organization? Mm-hmm. When you can get clear on that, you will have people come and go, and that's okay because they may identify and intersect with the, that mission and values of the organization at a certain stage of their life. And as the organization continues to go forward towards that kind of North Star, if yeah. you will, someone that works for you, while they may have connected for a certain period or you know, chapter of their life, things may change for them. Yes. And that's okay it doesn't make them a bad person. No. It just means this organization is no longer the right one for them. And there's someone out there yeah. that is. Yeah. You, um, you each serve each other a purpose at that time. Yeah. Right. And then you, you gracefully say, we are glad you're here. I'm glad you had growth in your career. We had growth in our organization. You know, like bless them as they walk out. And then what happens is more individuals come in that fit where that Northern star is yeah. as your Northern star. It's a principles Northern star, which is your core values yeah. in the end game. And, you know, we talk about it around here all the time. We hire and fire from culture, which is the, the mission and values, yeah. right? Yeah. Sounds like you do the same, but it's really hard because you have to, you have to be able, accountability is a tough one. Hmm. That's, I can see why right. most companies don't do accountability because it's really, really, really hard to, to follow through. And, and we don't put them on the wall because we want people to feel them, you know, because I've been in a place where core values were on a wall that they weren't following. And that's a hard thing because then you lose faith in the organization. It means no one's really feeling them or acting on them. They're just going to put them on the wall and be like, look at them. Yeah. Well, so, it all comes down to behaviors, right? You got to behave consistent, whether it's on the wall or not. Right? If you have them on the wall and you don't behave consistent with them, then they don't really mm-hmm. exist. Yeah. Other than artwork, so the so that that's a good background on how you've grown yeah. the company along the way. I've got to believe there were setbacks along the way. Any any setbacks that you can you know share with us where you know what the setback was, what the learning was, and how it made hey either the organization better or maybe you and your partner better leaders because of it. Well, it's, I was reading that question and. If I was to tell about every setback, we'd be here for about three hours. <laughs> right. Uh, because, you know, setbacks happen all the time. Sure. You know, and I, I firmly believe that everyone's personal life comes first. 
everybody's personal life comes first. And that's hard enough to navigate by itself. You know, we were talking about before, I, I'm still married. My wife and I have been very active in marriage counseling. We're actually doing great. But it wasn't always that way. And if you can't wake up every day full and with purpose and at your center, then everyone else around you is going to feel it. And each of the partners have had their own personal challenges and everyone can feel it. Right. Everybody can feel it. And thankfully we've been able to navigate those again, still always pointing towards that Northern star, other setbacks than that. Like I said, I could go for, for days on this thing because every single day you get something different than you expect you're going to wake up to. Sure. And I remember one time, I hired this consultant and I was looking for something very specific that sometimes I didn't know how to put the right words around it because as an entrepreneur, you don't really understand what you're trying to ask for. You almost feel what you need and you have to work your way through it. And basically this consultant over three months sent me a bill for $30,000 and I wasn't getting what I was needing from it. And so I changed consultants and they never even bothered calling me back. Huh. You know, so obviously they weren't, I wasn't very important to them. Right. I consider that a setback because that's a lot of limited resources that can be used within the, within the membership and the organization or, you know, for the owners of the company. And that's just one example of probably 50 times that's maybe happened. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So, you know, kind of switching gears a little bit, y'all been around 15, 17 mm -hmm. years and young, vibrant organization. What, what are you doing or what have you done that you believe is innovative within your industry? So in civil engineering industry, you know, it's pretty understood business from a standpoint of the product. Right. You know, we do a lot with drainage, water, wastewater, construction, um, site development. A lot of those things haven't changed in the last 30 years. But I believe what we do that's innovative and different than everybody else, since we are founders of the company, Stephen and myself, and then Stephanie came on in 2012, we really don't have any previous generational training into our organization. A lot of organizations have sold to the next level of owners, but when even when that owner's gone, the impacts of them are still there. And so I consider our organization almost like a clean sheet. And since I'm 44, kind of half Gen X, kind of half millennial, we get a better idea of the young professionals coming out of school. And so what I would consider our secret sauce is really buying in to our members and not focusing on clients, but focusing inward on team building. Okay. Because young professionals coming out of school now are different than me and you coming out of school, right? Right. Different than our fathers that came out of school and different than our grandfathers who probably didn't go to school. You know, I can imagine my grandfather was just happy to have a job at a power plant. Sure. Right. He didn't, he probably didn't know what 401k was. You can imagine our father, like our fathers maybe, maybe didn't get a degree, had one or two jobs where at the time was just getting a job so they wouldn't be drafted to go to the Vietnam War. You can imagine just the, the what the people would struggle with. I came out, graduated in 2000. I had two job offers and I'm just one or the other. Now, every single young professional has 10 job offers. And they're different now. They, they think with their head and with their heart. Yeah. And they will make more decisions based upon benefits and the core values and the feel of the business more than about logically what they're being paid. And so what I believe our secret sauce is we really focus on creating an organization that 
creates a two-way relationship between the managers and the members. And you really communicate to them and say, look, you choose to come work here. We choose to have you. So we want to know what your goals are and we'll tell you what our goals are and we'll make sure they align. And then we'll say to you, we only want effort attitude. That's right. That, I, don't, I don't think my daughters listen to, to these episodes much, but since they've been born, they've heard me say effort and attitude are the only two things yeah. that matter. It's, it's actually on our, one of our, our documents that new members get is all you need is effort and attitude. We'll bring everything else. If you can't pick up, if you cannot pick up what we're doing, then it's on us for us not training effectively. Two things, effort and attitude. Real simple. Yeah. And I believe in wholeheartedly, you take care of those two, right? You always do your best Mm -hmm. with your best effort and a positive attitude. More times than not, things will work work out. Yes. may not be exactly like you want, but they'll, they'll work out. True. And I think those are the only two things you can really control. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. And so I think that's that's beautiful that you sit down individually with your your team and your members to to identify those things. And well, and then you have to also get them to have trust, confidence, and belief in themselves. Right. And it's engineers naturally don't have that. Engineers in general tend to be, I mean, a little bit introverted, a little bit more plan oriented, and then you have to give them a path forward. And the options that are available, and you say, look, all this is available to you. If you want to be president of the, of the company one time, it's available. But here's how we're going to measure. Yeah. And you get that two-way agreement, and all of a sudden, there's no uncertainty. And they'll stick with you forever because anywhere else I go, most organizations just say, here's your job, work. Yeah. Well, look, the, the part of retention is, in my view, people seeing a path forward, an opportunity that aligns with their goals and ambitions, right? Mm-hmm. And they, if they don't see it in your organization, they're not going to stay that long. Well, and it has to align with their strengths and weaknesses. Oh, sure. Because there's a lot of people that want to be project manager, client manager, but they don't have the ability to, you know, work is eight to five and five to eight is client manager. And it takes a lot of five to eight. Right. And I talk to people all the time. I said, you can have whatever you want, but you got to make sure you're five to eight doing stuff not sitting at home playing video games, watching YouTube, you know, not engaged in the business. And it starts from day one. You control your destiny, not me. I've just built the vessel. Right. So you kind of talking around it, but you've got a clear set of values, uh, very focused on team building. How would you describe the culture at WGA? And what are some of the things that you think you have in place to help sustain it? Culture. We have a very diverse culture. I never realized that we had a diverse culture because we just hired based on people, you know, right between their ears. And I hired, I opened a Woodlands office eight months ago. They're already up to eight employees growing quickly. And we brought their team in and they walked in and they said, man, it's so diverse in here. I I think we're like 55% female. Okay. You know, very culturally diverse. And uh, I just never realized we got there and she, her, she, her eyes were just wide open. She's like, I love it here because these other organizations tend to be very monolithic. And so I think our culture is very diverse. You know, like what is our company culture? Our company culture really ties into betterment of individuals from the very much at the bottom to the middle to the top. There, Everyone in that organization wants to help the person next to them. And it starts at their top. We just rolled out new benefits this year that we really get into like total wellness because you have an opportunity, you being the chairman of the board, me being the CEO of WGA, 
tone starts with us. Right. And you have this opportunity to have influence all these people that have the ability to influence their lives outside of work. How do you set up an organization that allows for great long-term investment in them, that sets up success in their life, that maybe sets up success in their child's life later? Right. Right. And I think that goes all up and down the organizational chart within our company. That's great. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about you and leadership style. Uh, how would you describe your leadership style? What's your kind of you know, philosophy on leadership? I don't really have one. I'm working on that. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where it evolves. It evolves. And I've also laughed with a couple of my mentors because I've never really worked at a large organization. And I'm kind of figuring out as I go. So I do a lot of reading, a lot of reinvention. One thing I was saying to one guy before is you always have to be able to reinvent yourself. I'm probably on Ryan Getz 9.0, right? And uh, the person I am today probably wouldn't have been very effective at when he first started because I need to be out social, getting to know, building your name, building your company profile. And uh, I think my, my leadership style is a listen. I do really listen to a lot of people, even if I don't agree with them. It always kind of goes in there sure. with everybody else. And in the end, you mix it with your own mentorship of yourself and you make a decision based upon yeah. that. And, uh, and a couple of my mentors are like, you should read this book. You should read that book. I'm like, it's in the line. Trust right. me. Because my leadership style two years from now is going to be different than it is today. Well, the world's changing, right? I mean, it always always has evolved. Clearly, what we experience changing rapidly and I think to your point, you're exactly right. If you can't evolve as a person, yeah. as a leader, whatever, you're going to left behind. Well, one thing I say to our ma- our managers and our future leaders is sometimes they get uncomfortable with change. And I try to tell them there is no destination. By the way, there is no destination. Because so many people think, oh, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. There is no there. Right. It's the process. And you have to be comfortable with who you are today is not going to be who you are tomorrow. And so you have to, it's, you have to almost enjoy the process of shedding skin. Yeah. Enjoy the process of coming out someone different. Then once you get there, what you don't realize you're already changing again. There is no really period right. and you're just set. Because then that would probably drive me crazy and say, why am I not changing? Right. So, so you, you mentioned a couple of times mentors. And so I want to ask you, you know, who are some of these mentors that have had, hmm. you know, influences in your life and what, what made them in your mind such a, a good mentor? Well, it starts with my parents. I mean, my parents, my dad taught me a lot about work ethic, how to deal with conflict. You know, not run from conflict, but go right towards it. The only conflict is the one that's avoided. Right. You know, if you go toward it, most people don't want conflict. And if you just deal with it, it goes away. So it starts with them and also my mother who taught me to be a very caring, centered person. And so you you mix work ethic and carrying together, it, it, it really sets you up for success. Now, after that, I've had, it would probably take me three pages to write all the mentors I've had because they've all provided different aspects. Sure. I would even consider a mentor someone, show me what not to be. Sure. And they don't ever necessarily know that they're here or what, they, what role they play. Like I said, the one that taught me about core values also had some side effects of his him. That's like, that's not very important here, right? And and it's also changed with the version of me that was needed at the time. You got to pick and, like you said earlier, you take it all in and then you have to filter it out for yourself yeah. and what yeah. works for you. Because you will find people that just want to consult you like crazy and send you a bill for them. Yeah. Just because they see the abundance that exists there. And you got to be like, nope, sorry. Yeah. So. Okay. 
So obviously the last, you know, almost two years now have been unprecedented, right? That may be an understatement. What, you know, with the pandemic and, and all that it's brought on, what have been kind of the big lessons learned for you and your organization? How have y'all adapted? What do you, what are you doing? Do you think now that was brought on because of the pandemic and required you to shift so quickly? Well, it really taught me the lesson that all your solutions as an organization have to be logical, but they also have to feel safe. Because you can have a logical answer, yeah. but if people are walking in the doors with their eyes like this, wide open, out of fear, you haven't delivered the right message. Exactly. But you can't deliver the message that allows them to feel safe. At the same time, logically, doesn't make sense. So it's really focused, had us focus on messaging and creating answers that hit both the feeling and the thinking part of an individual. And so when they come in, they really, you, you grab the whole person. Right. And again, like most other professional engineering companies or consulting companies, it, it opens up. Now we have to come up with a new benefit that allows work at home. And how do you structure that? Because, you know, I've heard a lot of people struggle with trying to pull their employees back into the office. We never let ours leave. Of course, we did during that small period. But we created the logical sa- their logical safety measures that also made them feel safe. And we were able to keep our core culture together which I think in a lot of ways led to the mental wellness of our members as well, because a lot of our young engineers live at home in an apartment by themselves and, you know, four walls can be imprisonment. Sure. And so we, I feel like we navigated it very well. Sounds like by, by doing that, you help create, continue a continuity of sense of community. Yes. Right. And connection. Very much. So that's, that was, you know, definitely what you, I think, You've seen in other places, and it's been written and talked about, that isolation at some point started wearing on people. Well, and when you're dealing with a a 22-year-old individual versus a 75-year-old individual, they have very different opinions on what they want. And so you have to come up with a set of policies that grabs everybody. Yeah. And again, if you do it with the logic side and the feeling side, you get most everyone. And as long as you're getting 90% of everybody, you're good. There are always going to be outliers. You cannot make everybody happy. Yeah. That lesson number one for any leader or someone out there that may be starting a company, you, your decisions can be well-intentioned and grounded. They're never going to satisfy everybody. Yeah. Right. And one of the most, one of the best benefits, at least for my organization or our organization is a lot of great people left okay companies. Because they just weren't well run. And if you don't have a great run organization, stresses like that will crack them. Sure. And it really opened up the door to us to have some amazing influences in that organization that wouldn't have been available. So, I mean, this challenge was very fruitful for this organization. Very good. In those aspects. Yeah, that's great to hear. So, kind of... To sum things up on the kind of the business side, what what are one or two takeaways you would want a young entrepreneur or, or someone thinking about starting their business like you and your partner did, yeah. you know, when you're in your late 20s and, and said, hey, if you're thinking about this, here, here are two or three things you need to know, maybe that you wish you had known mm-hmm. based on your experience. What would those takeaways be for you? Man, first is learn your trade. You have to learn your trade. You have to master your trade because at least in this business, we are a seller doer. Then learn communication skills, because if you if you have all the knowledge in the world and you can't pass off the communication, 
then you, you can't you can't meet expectation of clients, you can't meet expectation of members, and you can't build confidence. And then you have to also learn that communication is not what's spoken, it's what's received. And so I would pass off those two things, number one. And number two, give it a shot. Yeah. There's nothing to lose. Now, get ready for a ride. <laughs> and everybody wants to, I mean, everybody wants to do it. I, every time I talk to people about this, they all say, I can't wait to do it. I can't wait to do it. I can't wait to do it. And then 90% of them go home and watch YouTube. Right. Because it's hard. And I tell the story, like the first five years, I did all of our accounting, invoicing, project management for engineers. I, I handled all the business side. And you have to invoice every 30 days, no matter what. Right. And nobody else is doing it but you. And I have this funny story. It's like, I would be with my family in Colorado, my parents, my sisters and their family, and they would be up celebrating for New Year's Eve. And I would be downstairs, remoted into my laptop through a little 3G cell phone on Excel building invoices because if you don't invoice, you'll get paid. You, you for sure won't get paid. Right. Even seeing an invoice, you still don't always get paid either. Well, sure. And that's every 30 days for the first 60 months until I could afford and pay someone to do that for me. And it takes commitment. So get ready for the ride. But sure, it's fun though. It's fun. And I think the other thing along with just go do it, give it a try, is there's no perfect time. No. Right? Just if you really feel it, go do it. And there's a lot of people who say, well, as soon as I get past this, as soon as I get past this. And when I hear that, I'm like, okay, okay. I've heard this before. Right. You know, all you got to do is walk out the door. Yeah. Just walk out the door. It's okay. I mean, everyone has their own path and everyone has their own fears and everyone has their own thing. I just give my two cents and then people can make their own decisions their own way. Very good. So you mentioned a couple of times uh, while we've been talking books that you read. What do you, what book are you currently reading? So right now it's, I think it's begin with why the understanding of why, why things are taking place. Now, when people say, what are the best books? It depends on where you are. I mean, the book I'm reading now has nothing to do with a book I would have read five years ago, six years ago, yeah. seven years ago. You know, I remember I wrote a book, I think, How to Get Out of the Rat Race with, I can't remember the, the author's name, just talking about how to get out of the spending cycle. I read that when I was 23. And so that's where I am now. I think I'm about ready to move on to another one and have to find out which one that is. Very good. So uh, Texas-based bod- podcast here. So we always ask our guests, what's your preference, Tex-Mex or barbecue? Always barbecue. Always. Always barbecue. Okay. Always. One in particular in, in the oh, area? I mean, I love, I mean, there's great barbecue everywhere. You can go to Lockhart and get amazing barbecue. Austin, you know, even Rudy's is great. I mean, Rudy's is perfected chain barbecue. Yeah. So I'm, and I'm not like a snob about that. I just like good greasy barbecue. Gotcha. So that's great. What would you do if you could take a sabbatical? Where would you go? What would you do for a while? I looked at that question and I thought about it and I don't know. And that's something I've talked to my wife about because I've been involved chest deep in this organization for 15 years. I really don't, I mean, besides traveling with my kids and my wife and kids, being at home with them, work, I'd probably need to take one one day because I got to probably figure out what else is there. I could think of where I'd go for like four or five, six days, maybe two weeks. But if I get too far away from the organization, I start getting kind of, I joke, I get hives. Yeah. And there's no hives, but it's like, sure. So used antsy. To the, yes, antsy. I'm so used to being in this habit that I don't know what I would do. Now, that's kind of one of my next challenges is get the organization to the place where it would happen just fine without me. Right. It, it would. 
Are we really that important? No. We think we might be. But you know, if you build great members and managers around you, and it's like the book Good to Great, how great are you effective two or three generations down from your direct reports? And you could probably disappear for a month, and I could disappear for a month, and we could come back to an organization that's probably 99% still the same. Yep. No question. Well, hopefully, if nothing else, is a thought-provoking question that yeah, you know, sure. gets you thinking and yeah. come up with an answer. I'm going to have to come up with one for sure. So Very good. Well, Ryan, it's been a pleasure having you on. appreciate you sharing your thoughts and, and your story with us and, and our listeners. And you know, best of luck to you in the future. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. So Very good. We'll talk soon. Thanks. And there we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at BoyerMiller.com forward slash podcast. And you can find out more about all the ways our firm can help you at BoyerMiller.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.